So my name's Matt, and my wife Jacinda and I, we're the lead pastors here at Coast Vineyard Church, and Jacinda just wanted me to say to you that she's, uh, just to give her apologies for not being here today, we were both uh, down in Fokatana yesterday uh, at her uncle's funeral, he passed away just this week, so that was, uh, that was sad, and she's just staying on for a couple more days with the, uh, with the family there, so um, good to be with family, but always a sad time, so... All right, so we're going to be starting a new series today, and as we kick off, what I'm going to do is just to tell you about, um, about Granddad Tom. He was my auntie's father, and he passed away about three years ago, well into his 90s. And the thing about Granddad Tom, what I, one of the many things I loved about Granddad Tom was that he'd been a Christian all his life, and, uh, and he just had so many stories about what he'd seen God do. Just so many stories. And um, possibly one of his best ones was he met Smith Wigglesworth. So half of you going like, that's amazing. And the other half of you going like, what, a, what, a, what an interesting name. Um, so let me tell you about, a little bit about Smith Wigglesworth. He came to New Zealand in 1922. And they talk about him coming to New Zealand as... Uh, New Zealand's greatest revival that, that happened on the back of him coming here. So um, there's some excerpt, excerpts, I don't know if I said that right, um, out of a, uh, a book that you can see online if you go to a website called um, revival-library.org and, and look for New Zealand's greatest revival. And it uh, talks about this time when Smith Wigglesworth uh, was here and some of the meetings he held. He flew into Auckland, did a bunch of stuff. He just went up and down the country. We listened to a few things out of this book. A dairyman from Wellington declared that for three years he suffered from chronic gastritis and paralysis of both legs from hips downwards and could only drag along with crutches caused by some spinal misery and drudgery. On Sunday, the 4th of June, he proceeds, I attended the town hall on crutches. I saw others being healed and believed that God would heal me. I went forward. Mr. Wigglesworth laid his hands on me. One of the workers anointed me with oil, and Mr. Wigglesworth told me to walk. I handed him my crutches and walked home. The healing results of the campaign were remarkable, and taking the scores of written testimonies received, it would not be an exaggeration to say that at least 75% of those who came forward to be healed were definitely healed. Handkerchiefs were prayed over for those unable to come or who lived in country districts, and they, um, they sent out these things literally by the hundreds to pray over these, uh, these uh, handkerchiefs. The news of what was happening spread all over. Many extraordinary miracles happened. Um, a, a young girl with chronic hip disease who was medically treated for years unsuccessfully after an anointed handkerchief was placed on her body, dreamt that a gigantic dove came through the open window into her room and pulled at her thigh. On awakening in the morning, she found her hip completely healed. It's like, this is this one. A boy aged 11 years, his father carried him on his hip to the meeting. He had never walked. Infantile paralysis had so crippled him that his legs were too frail to support him. They were crossed and withered and bent. Sit him down was the order given. If you read anything about Smith Wigglesworth, he was, he was pretty interesting. You know, like he would tell people to do things like quite, well, no please or thank yous. It's just like, just do this. I heard that there was this one story where he, he, someone had like a stomach cancer. And um, this is not New Zealand, this was somewhere else. And he punched them in the stomach. 
and this cancer somehow like left this, left this person's body. Um, he was an interesting guy. Okay. <laughs> but listen to this. Sit him down was the order given, and then, in the name of Jesus Christ, stand up. It was utterly staggering to see those thin, useless legs now thrilling with resurrection life. Don't you love that? Now thrilling with resurrection life, beginning to exert themselves. First they gradually untangled, and then with the help of his hands, he stood up. His father helped him up. Owls were all trembling and nearly let us down. Now walk in Jesus' name. It may be declared impossible, but those matchsticks worked. The knees unlocked, and with a swinging motion, he walked to one end of the vestry, back again, down again, and then back. But the father, well, he whipped and trembled and laughed and shouted. Oh, it was joy to behold him, and to watch the happy pair walk out was a sight never to be forgotten. So back to granddad Tom. Granddad Tom's dad was a, a uh, passionate Pentecostal and uh, invited Smith Wigglesworth to come and uh, he stayed in his house for about five nights over the time of this revival. And so Granddad Tom, as a young boy, um, heard all of these kind of stories, saw some remarkable things happen when Smith Wigglesworth was, uh, came to town. And uh, unfortunately, uh, Granddad Tom's no longer with us, and it would have been wonderful to have him come and tell you some of the stories firsthand. Um, but the reason I talked about that this morning because I wanted to introduce to you someone else that is going to tell us a bunch of stories of things that were, um, were first-hand accounts, and that is Luke, the guy who wrote the Gospel of Luke. We're going to introduce you to Luke this morning. And uh, he wrote... A lot of the stories of Jesus down, a lot of the miracles, similar kind of miracles, as those of you that are familiar with the, the Bible will have seen that. And, uh, and his account of these stories of Jesus and, and lives changed has, been, has become part of our scriptures, our, our Bible. He tells stories of when Jesus lived, how God came to us as a man. And, uh, and his story is now called the book of Luke. And he wrote, he continued to write of the story of the church after Jesus died and was resurrected and ascended to be with God. And, he, and that story um, has been recorded and is also in our scriptures, is known as the Acts of the Apostles, or shortened to just the book of Acts. So, so Luke was um, a pretty helpful guy for all of us, and we're just going to be what we're going to be doing uh, is we're going to be looking at these this insight and stories and wisdom and uh, and heart uh, that we see in this book of Luke. But we're going to do it in bursts. Just over the next year, we're going to do it for a little burst, and then we're going to look at something else. Then we're going to go back to Luke and do another little burst. And uh, I tell you, this is going to be a good journey. Uh, to go on. So looking forward to it. So I'd just love to pray again. And I know that God's presence is here with us. I'd just love to, to pray as we, uh, as we get into this this morning. So Father, we do again just welcome you here. And God, we're just grateful for, for you being active in people's lives, God. We're grateful when we hear uh, of prayers being answered, God, just the breaking in of your kingdom into, into people's lives. We're grateful for our own stories. We're grateful for the stories of this wonderful revival back in the 1920s. We're grateful for 
the incredible uh, stories that we have of Jesus, Son of God, Son of Man, come to earth, born of a virgin, lived as a man, died, raised from the dead, and active and working in our lives today. We're just so grateful. So God, we just pray this morning that for for each of us, God, that your, your spirit of revelation would be here, God, that you'd be speaking to people, speaking to our hearts and our heads, God, and, and you know, calling us forward into all that you have for us. Amen. Amen. So, we're just gonna, let me, I just want to help you to get to know this guy, Luke, a little bit better to start with, because if you're going to be reading and looking at some of the things that he wrote, let's, let's find out a little bit more about him. And... Uh, and then as, after we do that, I'm going to just give you these two things to take away that hopefully will be an encouragement to you. But when we, when we read the Bible, it's really important that we get honest and real about, about this book. Because when I was um, a, a kid in church, I was told that they used this word about the Bible. They just said that it is inerrant, which means that there is, it is absolutely no errors in this book whatsoever. That this is everything that's in this book is absolutely without error. And then I can remember through university days and people would say like, you know, this book that you, you're telling me about, and, and people say there's no errors in it, but, but then it says this here and it says this here and it kind of contradicts itself. And I'm like... Okay, um, I better go and look into that. And there's a lot of things like that, I think. So, being honest with this, our, our scriptures, means that we've got to engage with these things that, are, are, that appear contradictory. We can't just go like, oh, look, it's just God's word. It's, you know, let's, we need to be honest with this book. And, and we can't ignore things that are contradictory. We've got to, like, what, what is that? So... You just need to know that, you know, you might be thinking like, what do you believe about the Bible? It says, well, you know, you need to know that I believe that the Bible, the entire of our scriptures is inspired by the Holy Spirit and has the power to change lives. I absolutely believe that. And I, I, I live my life out of that place. And I also believe that there are some challenges in our scriptures that we need to engage with because it is written, inspired by God, but it is written through the minds and hands of, of, of people and uh, imperfect people. And so we need to make sure that we, en- we engage well with, with those challenges. So let's look at Luke. There are four, four Gospels in the Bible. Gospel means good news, and they've used that word to describe these four books in the Bible that are these stories and accounts of Jesus. And uh, it's Matthew, Mark, and Luke, John. I can always remember those very well because my grandmother always used to say, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hold the horse while I get on. I'm like... What, what? I don't. I wish you'd have said something more profound that I could remember, eh? but that's one of the few things I can remember from my grandmother. Um, but Matthew and Mark and Luke, there's this fancy phrase that describes them, which is called the synoptic gospels. And you would have done English essays and you had to write synopsis about books, and, which is like a summary in it. But it's called these synoptic gospels because there is heaps of exactly the same 
stories, exactly the same ones in all of those three books. Okay, exactly the same. So, so 41% of Luke has exactly the same stuff written in Matthew and Mark. And a further 23% is exactly the same in Luke as it is in Matthew. So someone's plagiarizing. Someone's, someone's, not, someone's claiming that they wrote something that they didn't write. No, I don't know if they would claim that. But, um, but what you need to understand is that Matthew and Mark and Luke didn't write, wouldn't have written the whole of their, their gospel. And it may have been Luke and the other two guys grabbed his stuff. Uh, they say that the gospel of Mark was probably the one that was written first. So maybe Matthew and Luke, they, they grabbed some of those stories and that got into their gospel. Some of the scholars say there was someone else completely that we don't know about that was the guy that wrote, the person or the girl that wrote the, um, some of these things that are similar in, in all of these different gospels. And do you know, they didn't have a name for it, so do you know what the smart scholars have called that person? Q. It's like, okay, so that's some... You bring that up at parties and uh, if you want to lose friends. So, um, <laughs> so just to say that it is unlikely that our friend Luke that we're getting to know this morning, it's unlikely that he was the author of all of the words in the book of Luke. But the thing is likely that uh, he would have written a good chunk of it. So the next thing is we, as we're looking at this, this Luke chap, we're introducing you to Luke is that there's also a Luke, a Dr. Luke, that is talked about in the Apostle Paul's letters to a number of the different uh, churches and people that are also have become part of our, our scriptures. So Paul's letters, and he talks about this Luke that is with me. Now, the early, uh, early church and, and the tra tradition of, uh, traditional understanding of that is that this Luke, this doctor, Dr. Luke, uh, and this Luke that is talked about who's with Paul here and he's with Paul here and he's with Paul here, that this is the same Luke that wrote this, the Gospel of Luke. And, um, and you know what happens when people, you know, they, they research and they study and then you get linguistic and, and uh, textual critics and, and analysis and they're going like, and, or, and they're looking in, at these different things and they're going like, we're not sure about this. And you know, more recently, they're, they're saying, we're not too sure about this. Because there's some things that Luke says, remember how I talked about in the book of Acts, that Luke also wrote that one. And he talks about uh, being with Paul in these places. And then some people, like when they look at Paul's letters and they think, oh, I'm not sure if it's the same. So... If you really want to start studying this stuff, you're going to get people throwing all sorts of things and going like, oh, we're not sure if that's right or that's right or this Luke's that Luke or Luke actually wrote this or whatever. So that's why a lot of people, when they go to Bible college, they come away going like, oh, man, it's like, this is like, there's lots of things to think about. So here's the thing is that as I've studied church history and uh, there's that church tradition, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. It doesn't just happen with no basis in something you know, historical. And uh, the traditional understanding is that the do it was Dr. Luke who was with Paul. Um, 
But most likely, as people say, like, I don't think Dr. Luke is the same guy as, as wrote Luke. I think most likely is that it was the same person. That's the most likely thing, is that this Luke that was with Paul wrote a good chunk of the Gospel of Luke. And if he didn't write it, he was the guy that grabbed some of these stories of Jesus from other places. And, uh, and then what probably happened also was that there were other believers after the initial body of writings was there that they would have heard some other stories, first-hand accounts of Jesus, and they might have thought, oh, let's just put that into the book of Luke as well because we heard that and that's in there and we heard that and that's there. And, uh, and what we end up is we get this, this book that's a story um, from a perspective of someone likely to be a doctor and, uh, and we get these, these accounts of what Jesus said, what he did and what, he's, what, what he calls us into. And the current book of Luke that we read was agreed by the bishops, the, the church leaders around between 130 and 170 AD. They're going, this is inspired by the Holy Spirit. This is, these are the words of God for us, and we need to embrace them as that. So that's a little bit of a framework for it, but... I'm going to just refer, as we go through this, to these things that were written by Luke. It'll just, just, just to make it uh, a little bit easier. But we'll all know that others will have contributed. Is that okay? Everyone okay with that? And, but what's important for us is as we look at this, these words inspired by the Holy Spirit, that we read them and look for, for the empowering presence of God in these words. And like, what, can, what does this mean to me? And allow these words to inspire us and educate us and comfort us and challenge us, empower us in our journey with God, in our life in God. And I know that for many of you, the words of these Gospels, not just Luke, but of, the, uh, of Matthew, Mark and John and of the Scriptures themselves, I know that for many of you, for many of us, they are words that take us on into the fullness of life that God has for us. And they've, they've say about Luke that this is not, he's just not just writing this as a, uh, an account to uh, provide historical information. It was, uh, they believe that it was primarily written for the church to, to read out when they got together to celebrate uh, communion together to church together and to read and to, um, to be encouraged with that. So, um, and Luke tells us himself the reasons for him writing this Luke. So I'm going to kick that off now. Okay, so we're going to read Luke uh, chapter 1, verse 1. And he tells us why he decided to write all these things down, put them all together. Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled amongst us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. With this in mind, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the certainty of the things that you have been taught. 
So we see from that that Luke wasn't with Jesus when he was here. But he met Jesus. He met the resurrected Jesus and changed his life. And he says, I've got to, I've got to find out about this stuff. I've got to like, he was just, you could, as you read through Luke, you can see the passion that he had for like, I want to know what happened. I just, I hear bits and pieces. I want to know the whole thing. So he investigates it. What happened and what a talk to people. So he says he, he's, he's, he's talked to people, heard the stories for himself, and he's recorded them for Theophilus. And when you read it, you think it's some guy with a cool Greek name, Theophilus. And it, it may be, but the, uh, the name Theophilus means lover of God. And so it may be that he's just writing this for all believers. Or it may be that he is writing to a Greek guy whose name is lover of God talks about the certainty of what he has been taught, not just what happened, but as you, we read through Luke, we see that it's not just recording what happened, but it's the words that Jesus taught and said, this is therefore how you should live. In the light of the goodness of God that's being revealed to you through me, Jesus, his son, this is how you should live, and, and, uh, and that's, that's where it goes. I was thinking about getting someone or for myself to read these first couple of chapters of Luke. Um, but it's, it, Luke chapter 1, that's like a big chapter. That's, it's like, I, just, I know that for many of you, you'll be like, kind of just slowly fade as we read. So I'm going to give it to you, the, the, I'm going to give the Matt Lilly summary, okay, of the first two chapters. Because we're just kicking off here. Chapter 3 is when we see Jesus the man begin his, uh, begin his ministry. And so again, these first two chapters is just the, the lead up to, uh, to Jesus beginning his, uh, his ministry as a 30-year-old. As a All right, where are we up to? Okay, so Luke starts the story. He starts off by talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And they are John the Baptist's parents. Okay, so they were older, they didn't think that they would get a chance to have kids, and an angel comes and visits Zechariah and says, you are going to have a son, and you're going to call him John, and he's going to be pretty awesome. And the, what does Zechariah do? He goes, no, that's not going to happen. Uh, we're pretty old, and um, so... Really interesting. Then the, uh, the angel seemed quite nice up until that point. And then you could almost read it and you could almost imagine this angel now going like, I am Gabriel. You know, I, have, I serve at the feet of God. It's like, it's like you know, don't make the angels grumpy. It's like, it, it's, um, it's because you doubted, angel Gabriel says, because you doubted, you are not going to speak now until your son is born. And that's what happened. So uh, then we jump across to, and Luke jumps across to Mary, who's a relative of Elizabeth, who's John the Baptist's mother. Uh, and Mary is engaged to Joseph. And Mary and Joseph are... Jesus' 
mum and dad. And the same angel Gabriel comes to Mary and said, uh, you have found favour with God and you will conceive by the power of the Holy Spirit and you will have a child and that, and that child will be the saviour of the world. And Mary has a different response to the angel. She says, whatever God wills, it's all right with me. Uh, she did ask, she says, like, I'm a virgin. It's like, it's going to be tricky. Um, and so Mary answers, I am a servant of God. May your word be fulfilled. And then Mary goes to visit Elizabeth, the relative. And Elizabeth has, is pregnant now with John the Baptist. And um, they hang out for a little bit. And, but as Mary arrives, uh, Elizabeth can just, just knows Elizabeth's baby leaps in her, in her womb and Elizabeth prophesies. And, and then we see too on the back of Mary's incident that Mary also writes a song. And uh, I'm not going to read these now. I'd really encourage you just over this week to read Luke chapter 1 and 2 and read these songs. So John the Baptist is born. Zechariah calls him John. Zechariah begins to be able to speak again. And, uh, and, and as he starts to speak, he prophesies and he writes a song. And uh, then we go on to read the Christmas story. Mary and Joseph heading from Nazareth in the north of Israel to Bethlehem, just out of Jerusalem. And they have to go there because of census requirements and... The baby is born into the world, the saviour of the world. Jesus is born in Bethlehem. And I'm sure that we'll be hearing more about that in the lead up to, uh, to Christmas and just we celebrate this wonderful, wonderful birth of our saviour. And then we see angels appearing to these shepherds. And in the, you know, lots of them. And then on the back of that, the shepherds visit this, uh, Jesus as a baby. Jesus, at eight days old, was presented in the temple, as they do with the, uh, the Jewish tradition. And there was a, one of the elders there, Simeon, who prophesied that this was the saviour of all people. And Anna, the 84-year-old prophetess, she also prophesies that this is the saviour of all our people. And then the family takes Jesus back to Nazareth. And then we jump to Jesus... Next thing we, we see in Luke is that we see Jesus as a 12-year-old and the family have gone from Nazareth back down to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover, and which is about a week-long festival. Obviously, lots of people there. Um, festival finishes, family heads home. They're about a day, a day out and then they realize that Jesus isn't with them. Um, it's quite, I'm just so grateful for the story how Mary and Joseph left Jesus behind because um, I've done that with my kids. I've left them at church. I get the phone call, um, we've got one of your girls here. It's like, I thought you had, you know, just another you know. So, uh, it's like, and then they go like, you left me at church. It's like, yeah, but Jesus' parents did it too. And, <laughs> um, so they were a day out. Oh, Jesus isn't with us. Imagine that. Imagine driving down to Wellington and you get there and you go like, how come, this, you know, how come there's no one in the, in the back seat? Um, so they were a day out, then they had to go a day back, and then it took them another day to find him. And when they found Jesus, he was in the, the temple 
with the, the Christian leaders, the, the, uh, the Jewish leaders and teachers and scholars. And he was, it's just this wonderful description. He was, um, he was asking questions and listening. That's, that's what it says. He was asking questions and listening. And uh, they, I'm sure they would have exchanged uh, conversations, <laughs> as um, parents do when they are very worried for their child, and it usually comes out as like, why did you? <laughs> so, so like I said, just wanting to set a platform really this morning as we as we launch into this book of Luke. But one of the helpful things that when you when you go through a book of the Bible is that it forces you to engage with things that you might not normally look at. You might sort of skim over, well, let's do this topic and let's do this topic. And one of the things that I couldn't help but see as I look at these first two chapters of Luke, and I want to encourage us, um, hopefully, and, and talk about this a little bit this morning, is this whole thing of angels. And uh, I'll tell you, there are some places around the world where when you're talking about uh, angels and the spiritual realm, you know, dark, uh, dark forces as well, um, it's very much uh, a real and uh, regular part of, uh, of people's experiences and their conversations. But in the Western world, we're a little bit too... Um, uh, too technologically advanced, maybe. To, uh, to th- and I think that for a lot of people, we think that now that we've got the internet, that um, those things don't aren't, aren't part of life anymore. And uh, or people can think of when they talk about angels, they can think of them a little bit more like uh, like a Disney movie. It's uh, that kind of when you read about them, it just makes a good story, and it make, you know it kind of makes you feel good to think that, you know, about angels, but they're not really real. They're, they're kind of in the category of like your fairy godmother or, or Tinkerbell, and uh, they're, not, they're not real. But uh, I'll tell you, it's one of the things I've been doing recently, and it's quite fun. So I get together with people, I, I, I say, hey, has anyone got an angel story? And people have angel stories. I'll tell you about one of my angel stories. I got, I got, a, I got some. I got a few. Um, the interesting thing with angel stories is that most people sort of think um, when something happens, they just go like, what, was, what just happened here? You know, like, was that, that just was like something a little bit supernatural. And like, uh, so for me, I remember uh, a few years back, I had a van that, um, it was in a, I was having to drive back from the Bay of Plenty up to Auckland, and it was, I've been having trouble with it overheating. So it'd be like about... 12, 15 minutes worth of driving before I had to pull over and let it cool down and, you know, the whole thing. It was, so you can imagine that's going to be a long trip home uh, with this. And um, it was only probably about, um, probably the other side of Tauranga. And uh, there's a hitchhiker there. And I uh, pulled over, picked this guy up. Oh, where are you going to? So, you know, just up, you know, there a ways. And um, um, seemed like a nice chap. And... Uh, we probably, he was probably only with me in the car for about 40 minutes. The whole time he was with me, nothing happened. The car didn't overheat at all. And he says, just pull over here and just let me out at this place up here. It's in the middle of nowhere. 
And like, when I say the middle of nowhere, it was like, you know when you're driving down some of those places through matter, matter, it's all flat and there's just nothing for, for ages. And it was, um, it was just the middle of nowhere. No trees around. No anything around. She says, just drop me off here. I go, no worries. He goes, thanks for the ride. Anyway, he jumps out and I pull out and I look back. He's gone. He's gone. Like, and there's no trees to hide behind. Like, he's just gone. It was like, I just pulled out one second, looked back, and he's gone. And, um, and then my car was fine for the whole way home. So, I don't know. <laughs> I've got a friend. This is a real person. Told me this story. to my face. He, when he was a teenager, he was in a car accident. Got thrown out of his car. It was at night. Thrown out of his car, and he's lying on the road, just like, and he's lying, and he's looking back on the lane, and he can see... He can see a car coming towards him, and he's on the road. He's looking at it, and he's just, you know, he's just been thrown out of a car. And he said that he just felt himself being lifted up about six inches off the ground, lifted across, and put on down on the side of the road, and the car went past. There's a real person, a friend of mine, real story. My kids have had some interesting experiences and we're like, you know, and again, I'll just ask them about it. There's lots of these records of angelic, like this was just in the first two chapters, like Zechariah had, a, had an angel come visit him and he was like, oh, you know, I don't know about you, you know, and, he, um, and then he couldn't speak for the next nine months. Um, Mary had an angel. The, the shepherds, and it talks about angels being up, and then there's one, and then there's lots. The ones, you, you read stories. There's, as you read through the scriptures, there's nearly 300 references to angels through our scriptures. Just, just you know, meetings and encounters. And uh, they're real. And you look at, we read through our scripture, we read that um, it was an angel that rolled the stone away from Jesus' tomb. Probably a little cocky angel because he just sat on it afterwards. He just sat there, you know. Yeah, I did that, you know. I don't, it's just kind of weird. He rolls this, it says he rolled the stone away. The angel came, rolled the stone away, and then sat on the stone. I'm like, uh, there's stories where it talks about how there were angels that people didn't recognize as angels, and then their eyes were opened. There's a story where an angel wasn't seen by the person, but was seen by the donkey. And the donkey and this angel were having a few moments. In the book of uh, Acts that Luke wrote, we see angels just popping up everywhere, letting people out of prison, helping people, strengthening people. Hebrews 1 verse 14, it says this, it says, Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Angels are real people. I know we don't talk about it that much. We don't talk about these things much in our, in our Western culture, but angels are real. And they carry out tasks on God's behalf. And it's, sometimes it's to get us back in line. Sometimes it's just to help us out. Sometimes you can see them, sometimes you can't. And the fact that there's sometimes you can see them and sometimes you can't, it points to the nature of 
the heavenly realm, of the spiritual world. A lot of people, they think of heaven as somewhere up there. Some people have said that they've seen it on one of Jupiter's moons. It's like... um, Heaven is here. It's just that we just don't have the ability to see it. Heaven is, is here. And you read through Scripture, it's the, the Scriptures, it's the only way that, that, that makes sense of, of heaven, is that it's, it's already here. Is that um, there's a, a story in the, uh, the Scriptures of a battle, and um, the Israelites were freaking out, thinking like, how are we ever going to uh, win this battle? And and then the, the leader of the Israelite armies was, was given the ability to see what he couldn't normally see. And there was angels, warrior angels, all around the battlefield that were going to battle on their behalf. So there's, there's, this, there's this dynamic that heaven is here, but then we just don't have the ability to see it a lot of times. And we're, you know, in our rational Western mindset, you know, what we don't see often doesn't exist. That's how people think. But the spiritual world is very, very real. A lot of people believe that each one of us has a guardian angel. And you might think, like, yeah, that's what I believe. And you might think, yeah, but that's in the Bible. Well, it's not really in the Bible. Um, but, um, but Christians have believed that dating right back to about the third century. There's a guy, St. Jerome, and he was writing, and his, his understanding was that, that every person has uh, their own guardian angel. Uh, I found this wonderful description about uh, this that I think is quite helpful for us. This is from the, uh, the Reverend Dr. John W. Hanna, an 18th century Methodist minister. He wrote a, he wrote a book called in, you know, the, the, An Angelic Study. He says this, Perhaps every Christian has a guardian angel. It may be that there is one angel to every Christian. Or a score of them. Or one angel may have charge of a score of Christians. Some of the ancient fathers believed that every city had a guardian angel, while others assigned one to every house and every man. None of us know how much we are indebted to angels for our deliverance from imminent peril, disease, and malicious plots of men and devils. It's quite helpful. So what do we do, though? What do we do? Do we, do we start like, looking for them behind every tree? Do we, uh, do we pray to them? And um, I don't think it would be wrong to, to ask for help, knowing that they are God's team, God's workers. I don't think it would be wrong to ask for help from, from angels. It makes more sense to ask for help from God and, and would he send help into your situation? But if you're hearing this this morning and you're a little bit like, ah, I don't know about this, could I just encourage you to talk to people? Next time you've got a bunch of people around for dinner, I'll tell you whether they are Christians or not Christians, and just say, have you got an angel story? Because every time I've done that, you just hear unbelievable things. Like seriously, 
unbelievable things, miraculous things. You'd be amazed at what people have, have encountered. And the, the other thing too, it's, it just makes sense to have a posture of hospitality and welcome to strangers. Like my hitchhiker friend. And like, could I just say that if like, hitchhiking is not that safe. So like, like picking up hitchhikers is not that safe. So I'm not suggesting that, and especially girls picking up guys, you know, um, don't, don't, don't be doing that thinking like this might be an angel because it might be not an angel and it might not go well. So, um, but Hebrews 13 verse 2 says this, Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, which is the heart of God's love for everybody, isn't it? And it's, the, it's the heart that he calls us to have, is this, have this heart of like, love for people that we know and for people that we don't know. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by so doing, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. So I just want to encourage you this morning. I guess a big part of sharing this this morning was to once again just remind us all that there is a spiritual world around us and there are things at work. Um, there are forces of darkness that are seeking to undermine the good things of God in your life and uh, in the lives of others. There are angelic beings, angels that are at work again on our behalf uh, for advancing God's purposes on this, on this planet. And just to be, have our, open our eyes. God, what are you doing? What are you doing? I don't think it's wrong to pray. If you'd like to see an angel, why don't you ask God? And uh, I mean, some people, like I say, some people have seen angels. Have it's really interesting that when people like see like I saw an angel, and like people from different cultures, different places all around the world, and they'll give a similar description. Usually about ten feet tall, glowing, kind of you know. And it's just a, a good vibe when the angels are in the room. So let's be people that are alert to these things. Open and, and ask, invite God to open our eyes to see, to see the, uh, the, the spiritual world and what he's doing. So one other thing I just wanted to encourage you with from this, uh, this first two chapters of Luke. And I know we didn't read them out, but... You know, all of these things were happening. There was these prophetic songs and prophetic words, and there were uh, um, Jesus would. You know, there would be the, the shepherds would come and say, "We saw angels." They took him to the temple at eight days old, and Simeon prophesied, and Anna prophesied, and uh, what Luke has recorded in Luke chapter two, verse fifty-one, he says this. But his mother, this is Mary, but his mother treasured all these things in her heart. She treasured these things in her heart. And here's, here's the only conclusion I can come to is that she must have written these things down. She must have written these things down. Because we have the exact words of Mary's song that she, when you read it, you just think, you kind of get the sense that she just, she just burst out singing. Um, but we have the words of her song. 
written down. We have the words of Zechariah's prophetic song written down in, in Luke as well. We have the prophetic words that are written down. And it says that Luke was investigating these things. He must have spent a lot of time talking to Mary, Jesus' mother. He must have. And Mary would have, Luke would have come to her and said, like, tell me, tell me what you remember. Tell me these stories about Jesus. And Mary would have said something like this. Come here, come here. I've got a scrapbook. I've got a scrapbook. She must have written these things down. And I'd want to encourage you this morning to be people that record the good things of God, the things that he does in your life, the things that he speaks to you about, the things that, uh, the, the answers to prayer that, uh, that we see. Now, all of the spiritual giants over the centuries, they, they, they keep a journal, they write things down. All of the books that talk about spiritual growth and growing up in God, they'll all say, like, you should keep a journal. Insights, write things down. Insights that you get when you're praying or reading the scriptures, prophetic words that you have, prayers and answers to prayers. Write things down. Because when you write things down and you go back to these, these times, it just gives such encouragement and reminders and strength uh, and courage throughout your life. Like, I mean, I know for me, I don't, I'm not much of a writer. I don't, I don't journal every day. Some people do, and I'm just like, you know, applauded. It's, uh, it's fantastic. Um, but I do do it regularly. I do do it regularly. Um, and I have, a, I have a prophecy folder. I've got a prophecy folder. And uh, any time I get any kind of prophetic word, and I'm always, um, you know, writing things down straight afterwards, or, you know, it's wonderful when someone actually writes it down for you. And um, I know that um, with my... Uh, pastor friend David Parker, when, which I know that he's spoken here before, and he's a pastor of a big vineyard church just north of Los Angeles. And uh, he, we met him in England, and, and he came and ministered to a group of us, and just incredibly accurate prophetic words. And I still have that, and I look at that, and it's just such a, a source of encouragement. And Jacinda, my wife, reminds me of it. She says, Remember when he said he prayed that about you? So I would just. Um, encourage us all to be people that treasure the things of God in our hearts. Yeah, Mary said that. She said, Mary treasured those, the things in her hearts, that, that the things that God speaks to us when we, when we read the scriptures or, or someone gives us a prophetic word, that we write it down and we treasure these things in our heart. It encourages us. It gives us courage to step out in faith and to take risks and to step into what God has for us. Does it make sense? All right. One of the things I wanted, I was just thinking about today, and um, I, I don't know if this was, a, this was God leading me or if it was just a, a mat idea, or I don't know if it's going to be a good idea or a bad idea. We're going to do it anyway, okay? Because uh, here we are. Um, shortly, I'm going to ask you to stand. And what I would love us to do, just talking about this whole thing of the encouragement of the prophetic word, um, I'm going to ask you to stand, and when I say now, so at the moment you're standing, you'll be standing like this, I want everyone just to slowly do a 360, 
Okay, just turn around and looking around, and looking around, looking around, and looking around. I'm doing it that way because if I just ask you just to look around, the people at the front go like, I sit here so I don't have to look at people. I like, and the people at the back are going like, I sit here so people don't look at me. So, um, so it's a little bit different because you're going to be looking at people. But my, what I'm wanting you to do is as you look around, I'm going to pray that God would release to us the spirit of pr- prophecy, the spirit of wisdom and revelation. And I'm wanting you, just as you are doing your little turn, to be getting any kind of sense that God may be pointing someone out and to just to dropping a word of encouragement. The Bible talks about prophecy as being words of strengthening, comfort, and encouragement. So if it's anything that lines up with that, you're in the ballpark. So if you've, and you think like, I don't know, I don't hear from God for people. Well, let's just see if anything drops into your mind. Like if you're just looking around and God just seems to point out someone specifically and, and then drop something and you go like, God, I feel like I'm just looking at Jono. I just can't get Jono. It's like, like looking around, it's just Jono. Sorry. I thought I'd just embarrass Jono. So, um, and, um, and then you go like, God, what is it? Do you have something you know, that you would want me to say to Jono? And it might be just, you know, God wants to know that God wants you to know this morning that he loves you. Or it may be something else. So, and then we're going to close the service. The service, not the surface. The service. And I would just encourage you, in the swirl of the after, just to go and seek that person out and just go like, hey, you are my person. And I just feel like God has this for you. Okay? So that's the plan. So if, if you kind of... If it's not something that's like your thing and you don't want to do it, then that's fine. Um, but it also gives you a chance to step out um, with the expectation that God's going to use you to bring some prophetic encouragement to someone. All right, let's stand. I'm just going to pray and invite the Spirit of God to come. So God, we, just, we know you're here, but we ask for that release of your Spirit of prophecy now, God, that, you, the, that, that, that release of revelation to us, that as we, as we are here, that you would give us things that would be a blessing to someone else in their lives. God, we're so grateful that you do speak to us, and we're grateful that others, you will use others to encourage us and strengthen us and comfort us. So we invite you to do that now. Amen.